in the Gospel of Matthew, as we looked at last week, understanding verses 1 through 4 are extremely important. In this series, Jesus has just again foretold them that he is going to die. I believe this is the second or the third mentioning of this truth that Jesus is one day going to die. And every time he says it, the disciples have a major, major problem with this. As they are traveling now to Capernaum um, and they are gathering in a home, possibly Peter's house, um, but Jesus begins to notice as they are traveling that the disciples following behind him are having some sort of discussion or some sort of argument. Now Jesus, knowing all things, and even in the gospel, tells us in the gospel of Mark and in Luke's version of this story that Jesus knows what is on their hearts, he knows what is in their minds before they even speak it, but once getting to the house, decides to use this opportunity as a pinpointed moment to teach those 12 men a great, great lesson. He asks them, what were you discussing? And Jesus When he asked them that, the Bible tells us that they were silent because of their shame in the book of Mark, chapter 9, that's posted in your your weekly there to go alongside of this sermon here this morning. They were filled with shame because they, they realized that talking about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven was really missing the point of what Jesus was trying to get to. All this teaching that he had been doing over the last several years, all of this healing, all of these illustrations was to point them toward the ultimate understanding of who he was as king and also what his kingdom would be like. And yet his most closest companions, his best friends, his brothers, his band of brothers had ultimately missed the point and are now jockeying for position competing with one another, wondering who will be the greatest, who will sit closest to Jesus, who will have the most respect, who will be the most famous one once they get to heaven. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 35, the same foretelling of this episode, Jesus sits down and first says to them, if anyone would be first, if anyone would be the greatest, He must be the last of all and the servant of all. Jesus continues to illustrate this point by calling what would be a small child, an infant, a toddler to himself. And the Bible tells us that Jesus takes a seat, which is the normal position for preaching and teaching during this time. And he calls this insignificant child to himself and embraces him for what is to believe all of chapter 18, all of this teaching. So we want to exegete the passage. We want to exegete the image here. That means we want to tell what is happening here. I want you to imagine just for a moment that you're one of those 12 disciples. Jesus has sat down in the middle of the room and he is taking this small child, this toddler to himself and says this to those disciples. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus looks at his disciples and tells them they must become a servant and a child. Both of these illustrations would have been crippling and it would have rocked these disciples. Weren't they already servants, slaves to the, to the Romans? And children during this culture, as we talked about last week, Uh, were considered to be extremely insignificant in this culture until they became a man or until they became a woman. Unlike our culture where many of our home lives reflect completely and are controlled by our kids, that was not the case. They were insignificant until they were of age, until they could contribute. And so Jesus is saying, um, the greatest don't make it into the kingdom. It is those who have truly turned 
That word turn there is the same place where we get kind of conversion or repentance. That there is a transformation that takes place and those of us who have truly been saved by Jesus, they were heading in one direction and yet through the power of the Holy Spirit have been changed. They look different. They believe different. There is different fruit. There is gospel fruit in these people's lives. So Jesus is already pointing once again to this idea of repentance, of conversion of transformation. It is not simply an intellectual assent in belief, but true belief leads to transformation. Uh, those who have truly turned and become children. So what does he mean by children? This is where we spent most of our time last week. He is not talking about the child who is throwing a, uh, you know, a tantrum. Um, he is not the, talking about the entitled child. He is speaking of children here as a place of great humility. They, a child is completely dependent upon their parent. A child who is in great need, a child who is sick, who is hurt, who is crying out with hand extended toward their parent. So we are those who are poor in spirit. We are a beggar realizing our depravity, holding out our hand, according to Matthew chapter 5, reaching out to an almighty God who is merciful and gracious to those who realize how low they are compared to the greatness of God. John Chapter 3 would talk about this before we get to the whole for God so loved the world passage. Let us not forget the first part of that passage. It says that a man must be born again. And what causes that man to be born again, to become a baby, to become that infant, is the power of the Holy Spirit inside of this person's life. Cultural Christians don't make it into the kingdom. Nominal Christians don't make it into the, into the kingdom. People who claim Christ and yet there is no turning, there is no servanthood, there is no humility, do not reflect what Jesus is speaking about here. The disciples clearly did not understand the kingdom of God, but he has been trying to teach them. We see that authentic Christians are marked by two things, many other things as well, but two specific things in this passage, serving each other and humility. We do not come to Jesus or to other believers demanding things. We come serving and with great humility because we are dependent upon God and dependent upon each other question this morning is, are you a humble servant toward other Christians as a reflection of knowing this Jesus? Believers, true citizens of the kingdom, are always, always putting the needs of other believers above their very own. This happens within the church. We see Jesus extending this illustration in what we're going to cover today in verses 5 and 6, don't we? He says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. In verse 5, Jesus is giving a positive here. He's saying, as a Christian, as an authentic believer, one who has been saved by Jesus, we should receive other servants, other humble children. This is what we should do in whose name? In Jesus' name. So he's not talking about non-Christians here. It's important for us to understand the perspective here that Jesus is saying, how do we as Christians interact with each other? We should receive them. We should welcome them. We should serve them. He gives a positive, positive response to this receiving of a humble servant, a true Christian. When a person accepts um, Christ, or when they, a person accepts another believer, when they welcome them into their lives, when we welcome them into our fold, when we serve them humbly, we are receiving Jesus. Do you get that? Do you get the seriousness of what Jesus is saying here? 
When you take Jesus, when you are in community as a church, when you are in community as brothers and sisters, when you become members of a local church, you are accepting Jesus. Now, I'm not saying here that you are accepting him in means, as means of salvation, but you are accepting his personhood. You are accepting who he is. When you accept the lowly, when you accept the humble, when you accept these individuals who have come to Christ by his mercy, by his Holy Spirit, then you are taking in Jesus. How is this possible? Well, what does the Bible tell us about a husband and a wife? That a husband who is married, that he should leave his father and his mother, and he cleaves to his wife, that he is bone of bone, flesh of flesh, that when you look at Eric and Laura Baker, you must see us as one. We are one entity. Two people make up one entity. You cannot have one of us without the other. Bone of bone, flesh of flesh. This is very similar to how you are with Jesus. If he has saved you, if the Holy Spirit has caused you to be reborn, then you are in Christ. And Christ is in you. I've used this illustration before, but so I, I hope it didn't bore you, but I'm sorry if it does. It's like as a kid, because I have OCD, playing with Play-Doh. Um, I used to hate it when my friends would come over and mix the Play-Doh colors, all right? It would drive me nuts. It would just make a brown, nasty-looking blob of stuff. If you want to play with the blue, you can play with the blue. If you want to play with the red, you can play with the red or the yellow, but let's don't mix the colors. Why? Because they are impossible to separate once they have been mixed. Similarly, likewise, so it is in our relationship with Jesus. If he has saved you through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are a new creation. Christ is in you. You are in Christ. If you look in the New Testament, as I did this week, you will quickly realize that in the New Testament alone, the term in Christ is used at least 90 two times in reference to who we are. You are in Christ. Remember, when Saul is heading toward Damascus, what's he doing? He's, he's on a horse. He's got his, you know, his militant brothers with him. The Jews, they are trying to eradicate this new group of people called Christians. They are wanting to wipe them off the face of the earth. They have, essentially, they are terrorists. They have declared jihad against Christians. They have declared holy war. We're going to remove Christians from the face of the earth. And Jesus shows up, knocks Saul off his horse, blinds him, and visits with him. Do you remember what Jesus says to Saul? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When you hurt the church, you are declaring war against Jesus. When you hurt the people of God, when you are not humbly serving the people of God, I want you to know far more than you are doing that to me or I am doing it to you is the truth behind the truth is you are ultimately doing that to Jesus. We see this over and over throughout Scripture, right? Vine, branches, head, Jesus is the head, we are his body, he is the husband, we are the wife. He is the foundation. We are the building. You cannot love Eric Baker and hate his wife. It means you hate me as well. Same for us as believers. If you are an authentic Christian, you are immersed in the life of the church because as you do unto that local church, you do unto Jesus. True believers cannot be separated from Christ. Where you go, Jesus goes. As a kid, there was this thing I always wanted my parents to buy me for them. I'm probably glad they did because I'd probably freaked out. It was called My Buddy, right? Remember My Buddy from the 80s? If you don't, it just means... That you're young, all right? But the show, the commercial was always, my buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy and me. I always wanted that Chucky-looking doll as a kid. And you just, it just shows this commercial of this little boy just packing this doll, which is now really strange to me as a man, 
packing a doll around. But in essence, wherever we go, Jesus goes. If you are present in a place, so is Jesus. He is witnessing, brothers and sisters, everything, because he's addressing this to believers this morning, everything you touch, taste, see, and think, Jesus, though he is not participating in your sin, while you are engaging in it, is right there with you, mourning your participation. Therefore, to receive, to accept, to welcome a Christian, you are receiving and accepting and welcoming the person of Jesus. Now, that's the positive for receiving each other from this passage. In verse 6, we see the negative. And we're going to see the negative in verse 7 through 9 as well. In verse 6 here, Jesus paints a picture, doesn't he? But whoever causes one of these little ones, that's children, those are believers. Whoever causes the little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. So we see here, first we see a positive. Man, if you receive a Christian, if you take them in, if you care for them, if you love on them, you are loving Jesus. You are accepting Jesus. You are welcoming Jesus. This is, we are together. We are dependent upon Jesus. We are dependent upon each other. But if you reject a believer, if you shun a believer, if you lead this believer to sin, then there is a great punishment that is coming toward you. In some translations where it says you lead them to sin, it's also translated in some of the translations that we have that you're causing one of these brothers to stumble. That you're becoming a stumbling block for Christians. Brothers and sisters, this is not merely talking about a warning to non-Christians and what they do to us. It is there, okay? You do not want to be a part of ISIS on judgment day okay however this is also talking about from christian and probably even more so from christian to christian that a christian should not lead a, another christian to sin to stumble not to become a stumbling block the the greek paints a word picture causing uh, the, it is to cause someone to fall you ever stuck out your foot to trip somebody trying to be funny that's the picture. It means to entice or to trap. We've all seen the cartoons, of which I tried this as a child many a times, where you take the box, right? You take the box out in the middle of the woods and you're trying to catch a rabbit. And so you take that box and you put a stick going up on one side of it and you put like carrots or lettuce or something like that and you tie that carrot to the stick. And the hope is, is that that entices that animal to come get under that box to take the, the vegetables, and when it does, it pulls that stick and does what? Entraps the animal. Anybody else do that? Try that as a kid? All right, you guys had terrible childhoods if you did not. All right, go do it. All right, it's fun. Okay, and, and we see this picture. It is that kind of enticing. It is the carrot in front of the horse. A lot of times, you know, Cash is addicted to his iPad, and when we're trying to go into places, we'll take his iPad from him, and we've been known to walk out in front of him holding the iPad like this to get Cash to go where we want him to go. It is enticing him. It, he's entrapped by this. It is leading, and this is the picture that is, is inside of the Greek. Jesus warns that causing Christians to sin is very, very dangerous to lead, for a Christian to lead another Christian to sin is against Jesus. It's against Him. What's the context here? How are they leading each other to sin, the disciples? How are they enticing them What's the carrot in front of the disciples? 
What are they arguing over? Who's the greatest? See how that can lead someone to sin? Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's being coveting what other people have. Maybe it, it, it wells within you a sense of arrogance, a sense of entitlement. And that's what is happening inside of this conversation. Jesus has just said, I am going to die. And what are these immature believers doing? They are arguing and leading each other to sin, creating a hierarchy, jockeying for position on who is the greatest. And yet Jesus takes this idea of a Christian leading another Christian or enticing a Christian to sin, and he paints this horrific picture of judgment for these folks. Verse 6, it would be better. Okay, so Jesus is saying there's a judgment out there, and, and what I'm about to describe is actually better for you than what is going to come if, if you continue or her life is marked by this idea of enticing and leading other Christians to sin. That means that there is something even worse than what I'm about to describe. And what does Jesus describe? He, he paints this picture of a person taking a big millstone, having it tied around their neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. Well, what's a millstone? We're not talking about a pebble here. We're talking about this big round stone typically had a hole in it, and there was another stone basin, and they would throw mill and grains and these sorts of things, and there would be a long shaft that would come out. Typically, slaves or like a donkey, a horse, some sort of animal would push that millstone in this big circle, grinding the grain. So this big millstone, you can only imagine, it weighs hundreds of pounds, Notice the description here. Where is this millstone placed? Around a person's neck. I can think of two terrible ways of dying. There are lots. One of those would be drowning, I would think. The other one would be burning to death. Jesus used both of those illustrations to these people. Notice what he says here. It's, it's having a millstone, this stone, not even tied to your foot. Because if it was tied to your foot, you would still sink. But at least you could think you could fight it, right? As you were going down. That is not the picture that Jesus paints here. He is saying that, man, you were thrown into the abyss by your neck, causing you to drown and sink to the bottom immediately. This huge stone. And as we've discussed it before, the ancient culture, water, was not considered something to entertain you by. It was considered to be the abyss. Jews were uh, immensely afraid of drowning. They did not recreate on the water. They worked. They ate from it. It provided source of income. It was not a place of fun. There was great mystery in the abyss, and yet Jesus is painting a picture of an image of someone getting drugged to the bottom of the ocean by their neck. And yet he says, there, this is better than what is coming to you if you lead Christians to sin. Imagine the shuddering of the disciples as they heard this coming from Jesus. Let's look in verses 7 through 9. He continues and paints another picture, doesn't he? Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. That means we're living in a world that is full of temptations, this side of glory. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. See, we have get the picture of drowning. Now we get the picture of being burnt alive forever. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is, it is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, the hell of fire. Jesus continues this warning. Now, we are, if you're from Edmondson County, this is called a hyperboil. If you're 
If you know what this word means, it's a hyperbole, all right? So just make sure we're clarifying. Jesus is overstating here the truth in both of these cases. He is not being literal in the sense of that if your hand causes you to sin, that you chop it off. It's, it's an implied overstatement here. Though I have known of people to do these things. Even if you've read the scarlet letter, I'm sorry, but there, in part of that story, there is the whipping, right? You've committed sin. People hurt themselves. This still goes on in our culture. People will some way be so sorrowful over their sin that they will inflict personal pain. I know of people who do this. I know of pastors who have ultimately killed themselves piece by piece by chopping off body parts. Jesus is, it's hyperbole, it's an intended overstatement because here's what we know, is if you rip your eyeballs out, you can still sin. If you cut off your hand, you can still sin because what is ultimately wretched is your heart. Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue. He is, he is saying now, if these things, the things that you watch and, and the things that you do with your, your limbs and your body parts and all those sorts of things, if it, it, that is a reflection of your heart. And yet, if you are placed in a place where you could be enticed, entrapped, all right, led to that, then to cut it off, to remember, to abstain from those places or from those things. So if this is the extent of what Jesus is saying, then how should we as Christians respond to this passage? How should we then respond to what Jesus is telling his disciples? If you're a disciple here this morning, then there is great truth for us to remember. Number one, our worship, our love, and appreciation for Jesus is reflected in how we treat other people. Christians. Our commitment, our involvement, our devotion, our humility, our, our servanthood in the local church illustrates our commitment and devotion to Christ. As we often say here at Mission, you cannot love Jesus and not love his bride. Jesus, in this first response for us as, as disciples of 2017, is to look at this passage and go, man, if I truly am a believer, if I truly believe in this Jesus, then I need to sit here and evaluate how am I engaging others in the local church. And brothers and sisters, let me give you a warning this morning. If you are vacant from membership in the local church, I want you to know there's a great fear and there is something that you need to wrestle to because it is probably a great reflection of a void of Christ. Because they are connected. We have, in some way, in American Christianity, have created a culture where you can claim to know Jesus and not claim a local body of believers. And I want you to know this is great deception. This is a great sin amongst the American church. How you are involved in your dedication, if it's Mission Church, then it's Mission Church. If it's somewhere else, it's somewhere else. But it's a direct reflection. It is a, a measuring stick. It is a metric of your your relationship with Jesus and as you grow older in Christ your love for the local church your commitment to the local church should simultaneously increase because Jesus is for the church I am not simply talking about attending of a gathering there are many church attenders but church attendance does not make you a member of that body it is easy to attend a gathering on a Sunday morning. And we have made it even more and more and more easy for people to do that. While simultaneously commitment levels and devotions go down. Our commitment, involvement, devotion, humility, servanthood to the local church illustrates your commitment and devotion to Christ. Now there are people, yes, that play that church game. No doubt. 
Okay? There are people who jump through those hoops. Attending a gathering, you know, does not make you a Christian. But I want you to know, those who truly are Christians are deeply immersed in the local church. Not a Sunday gathering, in the life of people. That's what Jesus is saying. Brothers and sisters, we must be careful not to lead or entice other Christians to sin. When you first hear that, does anybody kind of be like, how do we do that? How do we lead other Christians to sin? It sounds rather strange, and yet this is what Jesus is getting at. Let me throw out a few, hopefully, that will be helpful for you. Again, this is point number two. We must be careful not to lead or entice other Christians to sin. Let me throw out some. How about your language? How about the jokes that you tell? Man, I've been told some of the dirtiest things from preachers. And let's face it, we're told not to laugh. But what is being said is funny. <laughs> it's funny. This is the way that we can entice people, other Christians, to sin. The language that we're using, the jokes that we tell. How about lying on your taxes? Or a husband or a wife causing the family to live in debt. I've known of, of people inside of a marriage covenant, they're bone of bone, flesh of flesh, that have stolen from their own families, their own husband, their own wife, and have caused that family to be in thousands upon thousands of dollars in debt. This is a way you are enticing, you are leading someone in your home that you're connected to, another believer, if they're a believer, to live in sin, the sin of being in major debt. Sexual pressures for you who are, are single or if you're married and you're putting pressure on someone sexually, that can happen. I have heard about this, known of this on many occasions where a young Christian man and a young Christian girl, they are dating and he is pressuring her to be physical. She is made to crave, to cave, excuse me. Did you know that? Women are made to, if they're being pursued, God made them to cave to that man. It is the way in which she, it is not a bad thing. It doesn't make you less of an independent woman, ladies, but, but God made us that way, that if you're being pursued, you're being made to feel beautiful, that you want to submit emotionally and even physically. Um, I was talking to a pastor one time because I was speaking to a group of young people and I was just sharing about the importance. I was doing this love, sex, and dating thing and um, sermon series and I, I was talking to them about, to the young ladies especially, about being modest, right? Making sure all your, your business is covered, all right? And I remember talking to another pastor about that and he rebuked me. And this is what he said. He said, it is important for you to not talk about modesty. Because if a young man or a man is lustful after a woman who's dressed inappropriately, that is not her fault. That's just his. Does anybody see the problem with that? If they're both Christians then that should be, yes, it is a both and, not an either or. It is her fault. She's being enticing. Ladies, we love you. God has made us that way. He has made us to love um, the physical shape, the, the, the creation of a woman, to appreciate that. And the more you show us of that, the more we appreciate that. It is a both and. It is within us. Lust, you can be dressed like an Amish lady and we can struggle with lust. Okay? But don't entice us with it. 
Don't trap us with it. Don't put the carrot out there because you are leading your brother to what? To stumble. Do you see the picture of what's happening here? A few others. Um, Social media. Even from Christians. We've seen this during the election. Caused many people to stumble, to become angry over reading our political post. Okay? Arguing over sports teams. It does. Why would we entice? Why would we say anything flippantly? Why would we just roll that grenade out there for people to be explosive over? Why would we entice people to do that? Why would we pick a fight, even Christians, through the use of social media? Anybody ever got mad? Social media? I'll raise both hands. Faunting our wealth. Um, not being a, above reproach in business. You know, for here at Mission Church, our stance on alcoholic beverages is this. Is that we believe that if a person is of age and does not struggle with the sin of being an alcoholic, then there is a place and a time that is right for them to participate in that. Okay? If you struggle in that sin... There is never a place for you to participate in that. That's why if you come to Larnai's house, you are offered water. You are offered lemonade. If you bring soda, you can drink it. Okay? But if you come to our house, we never extend that. On Sunday mornings, personally, I wish that we could offer both grape juice and wine. I think there is something about the experience. It doesn't make it any more Jesus, but there is something about taking communion with real wine that is different than taking it with grape juice because one is sweet and one is bitter, right? But the reason uh, to this point, while we do not offer both, is because we don't want to cause brothers and sisters who have a past, who have wrestled with those sorts of things, to be enticed to be led astray, to possibly be tempted through the communion table. Does that make sense? We are free to do that. But we withhold our freedom to protect and to serve and to humbly show a brother and sister. You are free to put whatever you want on your social media. But we refrain from doing so. We are humble. We are servants. We are holding back a freedom. We are keeping our opinions to ourselves. We're not posting. We shouldn't be posting pictures of everything that we buy or all the pictures of food that we love to send out. Because what does that do toward the believer? If you have friends on your social media who are not from our country and I'm posting pictures of my big house and my, my, my food and all these sorts of things, Can that entice my believer in Haiti, my friend in Haiti, who doesn't have that, to be covetous, to be jealous? Teaching the prosperity gospel. For me, as one of your elders, um, teaching that, teaching unbiblical doctrine. That's why at Mission Church, if someone leaves because they don't follow the Bible, then we must allow them to lead, though pleading with them. Because our our desire is to be faithful to the text. Parents not illustrating the gospel in the home or showing a commitment to the local church. All of this can lead and entice and cause young believers and fellow believers to stumble and to fall. Point number three. So we said our worship is of, of... Our connection, our devotion to the local church is a direct reflection of our commitment and devotion to Jesus. Point number two, we're careful not to lead each other and to tice each other, other Christians, to sin. Point number three, we must be sensitive to the maturity level of others. I don't have time to read this this morning, but if we had time, I want you to write this down. Romans chapter 14, right? And it's that whole debate on what they should eat when you're around certain people, and we could fill in that eating to to several, several things. 
If I'm around Messianic Jews, those are Jews who believe in Jesus, I probably should not have them over to eat pork chops and bacon. Okay? Am I free to eat pork chops and bacon? Yes. Okay? But we must be sensitive to the maturity level, the spiritual maturity level of others. Why? We are placing their needs before our own. We are serving them. We are humble. We are low. We try to edify. We try to make great. We're spurring toward each other. We will take our freedoms. We will set them aside in order for the benefit of the whole. Point number four. For the good of the church, we must seek personal holiness in private. We will never be able to help each other not to sin if we're not fighting sin ourselves. This is what Jesus is talking about in verses 7 through 9. Those are private moments. If I'm not, man, if I'm not fighting what I'm looking at on my computer, if I'm not warring against that in private, then I am more likely to entice you to sin by inappropriateness because what I'm doing is private will eventually come out in public. That's right. That's why we should watch, again, our language, our jokes, all these sorts of things that we are, it is serious to God. Is it not? Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. It is better for us to not have something than to receive everything in heaven. It is better for us to deny ourselves on this earth for the glory of God, for the betterment of my soul, and for the, the good of God's people. It is better for me to refrain on this earth and then to be handed a mighty, astounding, eternal yes when I get to heaven, be given an abundance and a lavish amount, than have everything on this earth and go to hell and lose it all. Deny of yourself. Take up your cross. Brothers and sisters, we, we must be willing to give up our personal freedoms, things you are free to do in Jesus, and yet be willing to give them up, not for just my good, but for the good of the brotherhood and the sisterhood of Christ called the church. Now, easily, when you hear these sorts of things, because again, Jesus says that man, it is better for you to, to, to drown it is, it is better for you to go limping and to be, have arms cut off than to go to hell. I mean, Jesus, Jesus is serious about sins, brothers and sisters. Even this side of the resurrection, even under grace, Jesus is serious about the sin in, in our lives, in my life, in your lives, in our lives corporately. We must be willing for Christ's sake and for the church's sake, for our sake, to deny ourselves, to make war against sin for the betterment of the community. See, brothers and sisters, what you do in private or even in public away from this gathering is a direct reflection of Jesus, his nature and character, and the local church that you claim to belong to. So when you say it on Facebook, you're saying it about Jesus. You're saying it about Mission Church. When you are rude to that waitress or waiter, you are saying that about Jesus. You are saying that about the local church. You give even within our city and our culture. Oh man, if man, look at Mission Church. They must, they go to Mission Church, then they must be about blank. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. Now, in hearing these things, it can be our, our inclination because we are naturally in our sin, born to be rebellious and religious is to go, man, this sounds a lot like legalism. So how do we view this passage in view of the gospel? Why are the punishments so extreme? Remember, what does Jesus have in his arms? A child. What does the child represent? Believers. True believers, authentic believers. Jesus is sitting with these disciples and he's holding a baby. He's holding an infant and he's using this infant. He's saying, man, these are my children. 
not that physical child necessarily in his hands, but what that little one represents. It represents the humble servant. It represents the new creation. It represents those who have been reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's holding, he's calling this child as even telling these, uh, these horrific warnings. God's people, brothers and sisters, are very precious to him. That's why he's serious about this. God is the true and better parent. He will protect and defend his children at all costs. And if you're a parent in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Why? Because I, I don't know if it's, if it's just me, but I, I don't think so. I think this is pretty true of all parents. Man, if you love my kids, it is easy for me to love you. If you care about their well-being... If you, if you care, I mean, those people who have walked alongside us with cash especially, man, it is easy to love those people. All right? Because you're for him. People at school, like at his school, man, people have walked with our kids and have been kind. I'm not saying that they've never disciplined him, but right discipline. But have walked along, want, the, want what's good, are for our kids. For those of you who are parents, isn't that easy? To go, man, I am for these people. I love these people. Gift certificate time at Christmas. Woo-hoo! Send it to that teacher. She's good to my kid. Parents, grandparents, relatives, friends. Here at Mission Church, we want to create an atmosphere. It's like, man, if I see your kid about to kill themselves or jump off the top of the chairs back there, I'm going to be like, no, don't, don't do that. Right? You see Cash heading toward the parking lot, and you're like, well, that ain't my kid. All right? No, you go run after that kid. You go grab that. You, bought, you rapture that kid up. Right? It don't matter whose it is. But you love them. Man, it is easy for me as a parent to love people who love my kids. But I'm telling you what. Who has ever said this? You do what you want with me. You say what you want to say about me. But you mess with my kid. And you're dead. Anybody ever said that? You can do what you want, but you mess with my baby. And we got a major problem. You mess with my kid. You mess with Cash. You mess with Ava unjustly. And I'm telling you what, you've got a major problems on your hands. This is what Jesus is doing in this section of Matthew. He is saying, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you are this precious to Jesus. He has created a whole place called hell to punish the people who are coming against his children. Satan is going to be placed there. For all of eternity, bound and tormented. And those who are declaring war against God in their sin are going to be sent there deserving of it. And yet for Jesus' children, God Almighty has you in his hands. He is, he is the perfect, true, and better Father. He is protecting you at all cost. All crime is terrible. But if I'm the only one who reads and listens to the news and when you hear that terrible things happen to defenseless children, that it stirs a new level of wrath and anger within you, it does within me. This is a small picture of our God. And here's the deal. You will either experience God as a loving father or you will experience him as a wrathful king. Do not mess with God. Therefore, do not mess with his children. This is not a game. This is serious, brothers and sisters. It is serious, and yet for those of us who are in Christ, it is yet hopeful that he's got us, that we are precious. We give up our freedom. Why? Not to earn salvation, but I want to be like Jesus. Don't you want to be like Jesus? And who gives up their freedoms any more than Jesus does for the sake of the church? He gives up all the glories of heaven, all the riches of heaven to become a, a baby laid in a, a dirty feeding trough in a cave. He lives as a peasant person. He has no place to lay his home. He gives up all of his freedoms. He becomes a humble servant for the sake of the church. So we love 
love this Jesus as our Lord, and we love the church as our brothers and sisters in Christ. We protect each other. We defend each other. We don't entice each other to sin, but no, we spur one another along in Christ's likeness. That's why if you look at the New Testament, there are, I think, 59 one another's in the scripture of the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, that is for the church to do to each other. That is not saying between you and a non-Christian. It is not that that implication is not there, but the perfect truth of that is we do the one another's to each other. And if you're not involved in the local church, how can you do those? You can't. You can't. Therefore, Jesus wants us to be like him. He wants us to go, I'm free to do this, but I don't. I'm free to go to lunch today and have an alcoholic beverage. But I don't do that. Because I love you. I love my family. I love my church. I want to protect. I want to be careful how I treat my waitress. Man, I want to be careful how I drive, and sometimes it's hard on Scottsville Road. But Christians want to be like Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He gives it all away for the sake of another. Mission Church, may we have the marks of that Jesus in the life of this church. As we go through life, as we go through sickness with each other, as we celebrate with each other, when something happens good in someone's life, we should be the most celebra- you know, celebratory people on the planet celebrating. But you know the reason why we don't is often it's because we're jealous of what they've been given and what we've not been. Man, we want to be celebrating of that in their lives. Man, we want to be celebrating. We want to walk alongside when someone is ill inside of our church. It's like we can't take that sickness, but man, may God allow us some sort of a feeling of, of what that may be like to help carry that load, to help carry that burden of sickness. And this means that we're going to have to sacrifice our time, talent, and treasure. That means time, it's, it, being a Christian is not convenient. It means that we're going to have to give and give and give and give, not till it hurts, but we give until it heals. We serve sacrificially. Why, though? Again, why? Not as a means of salvation, but as a reflection that we have been saved. This is the way that Jesus acts as Christians through the power of the Holy Spirit by, by the redemption of Christ our Lord desire and long for to be like Jesus. Brothers, sisters, people, if you do not aspire, if that's not not your aspiration, I call you to turn today to repent because you do not know the Jesus of Scripture. Repent from your sin. Follow after Him. May we at Mission Church have the visible one another's daily taking place in our midst.